Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. This is Sarah from the left, and welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today, um, Beth is off, and I am here with Ann Bogle, host of the podcast, What Should I Read Next?, and the author of a new book, Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. Ann has been on our podcast before, and I've been on her podcast, but we are so happy to have you back, Ann. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I was so excited to read this book, one, because I'm a personality junkie, and two, to have you on the podcast because we just had a really fascinating conversation um, on the pod about personality, specifically introvert, extrovert, and how that plays out with politicians, which I was so interested to hear your thoughts on. And tell us a little bit about the book. I think it's so great how you walk through all the different personality tells and build them on top of each other. And is introvert, extrovert the first one you talk about? Yes, it is. I'm thinking, like, yeah. I wrote that a long time ago. I yeah, think that's I think the so. very first one in the book. And that's because in the book, I go through seven popular personality frameworks and give like a little primer on each and then tons and tons of stories about what that looks like in real life, because that's how you really understand it. But 
I started with introversion, extroversion, because like there's one clinical psychologist who calls that the north and south of temperament. Like mm. that's the foundation. It determines so much about how you see the world and interact with it and the people around you. So we started there. And I loved that conversation on the podcast, by the way. Yeah, it was so interesting. Right. So I think that the popular conception, and I think this is true of celebrities and politicians, is that they are all extroverts. But I do not think that is true. Being as a per- being a person who lived in Washington, D.C. and was lo- around a lot of politicians, um, I just don't think that's true. What do, you, do you think that – here's my theory, and you tell me what you think. I think that is because people have sort of a misconception about what introvert and extrovert mean, and you talk about that in your book. What do you think? I think you are 100% right. And I think that a lot more people understand what introversion especially really means since Susan Cain wrote that great book, Mm -hmm. Quiet, um, 2011, 2012, that came out. But since writing the book, I've heard from so many people that said like, oh, I didn't understand that's what that meant. Or I I thought I was one type, but actually I'm another. Um, Yeah, so introvert doesn't mean social misfit. An extrovert doesn't mean somebody who can participate in a live debate without like wanting to go curl up in the corner in the fetal position. (laughs) So introvert means that you, here's how I like to describe it. Like all of us see one aspect of our world as the real world. To an extrovert, the real world is when you're on that stage talking to people Mm. or when you're like glad handing your friends or or when you're like having a great conversation over coffee with a buddy, that could be an introvert thing too. So that's the real world. The real world is out there to introverts, the way that they really process the world and understand the world and make sense of their experiences and their emotions. That all happens internally. You can't Mm. see it. It happens in their own minds. So as an introvert, my real world is literally like inside my head. So Extroverts, the real world is outside. Introverts, the real world is inside. And when we need to, like if you're an extrovert who's feeling a little down, you're going to want to go talk to people. And if you're an introvert who's feeling overwhelmed, you're going to want a cup of tea and a good book in three hours by yourself. Like those are just different ways of responding to the world. But Sarah, like I could see you reading your book on the couch and think, oh, introvert, but that's just a piece of your day. Right. And you could see me like on stage talking to a bunch of people at a live podcast event and think, oh, extrovert, but that's just a piece of my day. And I'm going to go home and curl up with a book and read for 300 pages to feel you like as much as I enjoy that, I, I can't sustain that at the same way an extrovert would be able to. So back to politicians. Something that's really helpful to understand introversion and extroversion is to think that even though at your core you prefer one or the other, ambivert is a thing, but kind of. And I get into the details of all that in the book. But they're also verbs. Like we all spend time introverting in our own Mm. heads and extroverting out in the real world. So when I see you on the couch, you know, just in your happy, solitary place, you are actively introverting, but that doesn't make you an extrovert. And just like we may see a politician at a rally speaking to the crowd full of energy, like public speaking, we think extroversion, but that is an extroverted activity, but you don't have to be an extrovert to do it. And so when you say, I don't think all politicians are extroverts. No, I don't think so either, but we often see them extroverting. Some of them we only see extroverting. 
Right. And see, when you tell me, let's use our last two, our current president and our last president as examples, when you describe it like that, to me, there is no doubt that Barack Obama is an introvert, like that Barack Obama's real world is in his head because he is so cerebral. And you can tell when he speaks, he is so careful and he has thought through things so carefully. And like, to me, that's like when you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's def- Barack Obama's real world is definitely in his head. And I would, you know, I think that you talk a lot in your book about so much of your personality is sort of set, but I wonder how much is really um, emphasized or grows based on the experiences of your childhood. Because I feel like maybe I was, I have a personality that is, that is extroverted from birth, but because I was an only child, I built introverting in as like a real skill in my sort of tool in my toolbox to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about him as the same way. Um, and then you look at... Donald Trump and you think, oh my gosh, well, yeah, it's all, it's all external. It's all focused on his interactions with other people and the winning and the stream of consciousness where he feeds off the crowd and it's all out there. It's all competitive and transactional and it's all extra. It's, there's so much extroverting, you know what I mean? Yes. Okay. But first of all, I know that some Myers-Briggs junkies love to type other people and I hate it because there's... I mean, we don't see we don't see the president's whole picture. Right. We kind of feel like we do because of the excessive news coverage, but we really don't. And there's a lively debate among personality junkies about whether Obama is really introvert or extrovert. Mm. But we do often. So I think if I had to type him, I would say he's definitely an NT type who would be more careful and composed with his words. But the introvert, extrovert, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder. Um, Well, and here's how I think about the introvert extrovert thing, too, is I think about sort of your I use these two um, friend groups that I've had interactions with one and seen a lot of interactions with other people. Now, I know you're right. How we interact with people is not always indicative. But tell me what you think about this. So there's Oprah and Gail and there's Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. And so Oprah and Gail, to me, Gail seems like a true extrovert. Or maybe just tell me how you think this interplay plays with the introvert-extrovert thing, which is I think people think if you're famous, you love interacting with people. But every um, interaction I've had, I've had one interaction each with Oprah and Gail. And my friend used to work at Saturday Night Live, and he spoke to um, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, which is you think because they're celebrities, they're just going to be like super warm and chatty with you. But only one of each pair is like Gail is super (laughs) warm and chatty. Oprah is very like she's not standoffish, Uh but she is not like in it with you the second you're talking to her. And the same is with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler is very warm and chatty and sort of with it with people the second they come up to her. And Tina Fey is more... Um, sort of closed off. And so I it, do you think those that plays introvert extrovert or are we seeing something different? Mm, it can be, but that can also be that can also be learned behaviors to manage mm. the level of fame you're talking about. Like That's I true. would imagine that Oprah has some serious hardcore personal boundaries in place for When you have to. Yeah. Um, cuz she often gets thrown around as a textbook ENFJ. Oh, yeah, that's who else says. Mm-hmm. I knew there was somebody mm-hmm. else famous. That was my Myers-Briggs take. Yeah, yeah. You and Me, Oprah. Oprah and Hillary, baby. That's right. <laughs> um, but I think that's so interesting. And I, and I think that people expect politicians, they expect that same reaction when they meet politicians. And you do. You get that with Bill Clinton. When you meet Bill Clinton, he touches you, he looks in your eyes, and you're the only person in the room, and he has a very warm way of connecting with people immediately. But I do not get that from her. 
um, Hillary when you know not that she wasn't warm and couldn't didn't have the capacity Mm -hmm. to connect with people but Mm -hmm. it wasn't as instantaneous as it is with him and the same with Obama Obama's not I I didn't find him to be that way either again not that they're disconnected but it's just a different level um, of connection I guess or like sort of it's almost like the speed of the connection in a weird way yeah so when we talk about personality frameworks we're talking about Myers-Briggs the Enneagram uh, the strengths finder and like all these are useful because I think they capture something that's true about your personality, but they only capture one aspect right. of what is true about you. And so when we say personality frameworks, we're talking about very specific aspects of your personality. We're not talking about like you're fun, you're lighthearted, <laughs> you're generous, There's no you're value. compassionate. There's no value judgment. I like right, that you exactly. talk about that in the book. Exactly. So so I hear what you're saying about like, like an extrovert isn't necessarily like kind, generous, welcoming, and right, warm hearted, right, right. even though many of them are. And when they are, that really radiates in a way that would be a little quieter from the introverted. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like we are, we are complex and complicated beings. And I like how these frameworks capture one aspect of you, but you have to be very clear on like what it is. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't right. box you in, but it says It doesn't make you better or worse as a person. Right, right. It just says something true about one aspect of yourself, which can be very helpful to know, very illuminating, but that's not like, oh, like here's the code to make Sarah. Like that's not how it works. So what's the next framework you use after introvert, extrovert? The next one I get to, since I have my table of contents committed to memory, I think it's highly sensitive people, which... Oh, yeah. That one is so helpful. So helpful. Right. It's so helpful. And I don't (sighs) think it's strictly a personality framework. Like, this is more a physiological fact about Mm -hmm. human beings. So do you want me to explain it? Yes, please. Okay. Because this is like, it rocked my world when I found out that high, high sensitivity was a thing. And it sounds like it did yours, too. It did. Okay. So... Highly sensitive people. It's a coin termed, a coin termed, a Kern toy. <laughs> I'm an introvert who can't talk on the fly. Let's abandon that. Elaine Aaron is a psychologist, I believe, who came up with this. She discovered that 15 to 20% of a population, not just human, panda bears, raccoons. Oh, your really? Puppy, yes. It holds across species, have wow. nervous systems that are more finely tuned than those of the general population. So when you say someone is highly sensitive, you don't mean that they're touchy or easily offended or super emotional, although that last one might cluster a little bit, but you're saying that their nervous system is more sensitive than those of the general population, non-sensitive types. Again, non-sensitive, you're not caring. You're not heartless. You have a pretty standard nervous system. So what this means in practice is that like I'm highly sensitive. I don't know what it looks like for you, but if someone's trying to talk to me while the radio is on, my head will start pounding. Mm -hmm. Um, like some, when it manifests in kids, like they may be extremely touchy about the way their socks seems are touching their feet. Um, they don't like tags in the back of their shirts. They really don't like the textures of certain foods. Um, take like anything that involves the senses, like sensory input is going to be registered at just a higher degree than it would in a non-sensitive person. So if you've ever walked into a room and thought like, I, it is so loud and noisy and bright in here, I am going to die. Um, you're probably highly sensitive. And people who are highly sensitive are highly sensitive in different ways, like mm-hmm. texture, touch, smells. Like they're not all going to be like sending you off the charts 
in most people, like you'll have a couple of triggers, but just learning that you are highly sensitive or that someone you love or live with is can really be life-changing. Like I've gotten emails. Yeah. I've gotten emails from people that say like, oh my gosh, my child, like our house is peaceful now. Thank you. Like all I needed to know is what we are dealing with or like I'm 38 years old and I finally understand like why my mom acts the way she does. Like it all makes sense now. So it's a little thing, but it's really illuminating and not strictly personality, but it functions in the same way. Like it's one piece that captures who you are that makes a huge difference in how you see yourself and how you interact with the world and with other people around you who may or may not have this trait. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I wonder how much this overlaps because I think I thought, well, maybe I have introverted tendencies, but really I think what happens is I do – Depending on the environment, like if I, I don't feel depleted if I go out to dinner with people and I talk to them all night long in a quiet space, but I do feel depleted if we're like at a loud restaurant or bar and I want to get out of there immediately. Um, And so I thought, well, maybe I'm just depleted and I'm not being on an extrovert after all, but I think it was more this sort of highly sensitive thing bubbling up in my personality. And I'm listening to the most amazing podcast. Um, It's, it's Esther... Perel's podcast on Audible. It's like marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And she had this session with two a lesbian couple. So there were two women, which was really fascinating because they were sort of having what we consider to be a gendered disagreement about you spend too much time with the kids and I want more of your attention. But it was two women. So it, 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 it presented an interesting opportunity for sort of examination of these issues. And the thing that really spoke to me is she said that being the primary uh, caregiver was not, it, it wasn't driven by gender, at least biologically, that a lot of what happens, um, and you see this in same-sex couples, is it is, she talked about a couple things, like um, your background, but then the one that stuck out to me is she said your sensory threshold. And I thought, oh my God, yes. Like if your <laughs> sensory threshold is low, which mine is, you get to a point with your kids where you're like, if you make another noise or you touch me one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. And it made so much sense to me that like, yeah, if you had particularly if you had a same sex couple and the person whose sensory threshold or who's not as highly sensitive is going to be drawn to interactions with children or going to at least be better adapted to deal with young kids than the other person is. And I thought that was so interesting. That is interesting. Right? Yeah, because we all have a sensory threshold, but it's going to be a lot lower if you're highly sensitive. And that's also interesting because so many people who are extroverts have told me that for the longest time, they were sure they were extroverts, except for the high percentage of the time when they had strongly introverted tendencies. And we all spend time introverting and extroverting the verbs because we're human, like everybody does. But what these extra what these extroverts thought were introverted traits were really highly sensitive traits and like understanding that high sensitivity is a thing, like really helped them understand like, Oh yes, I am definitely an extrovert. Like I can't actually say this definitively. I'm just one of the 30% of extroverts who is highly sensitive. No, no, no. I'm saying that wrong. 30% of highly sensitive people are extroverts. Yeah. I think that's me. And it is, it's really helpful when you feel that and you're like, and you can also, you know, help control your environment instead of beating yourself up. Instead mm-hmm. of feeling bad about yourself for reacting a certain way, you can be like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. And let me control what I can control instead of just beating myself up about it all the time. And it can also, I think, help you with other relationships, which is help you feel like the person's not out to get to you. Get you. They're just, especially if it's a child, they're just 
who they are and to adapt accordingly. I think this is a good transition to the next part of our conversation, which is how this can help you interact with other people. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. So I thought one of the best things about your book, Anne, I really loved all of it. Not to just keep bragging on your book. But Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but is that I think it helps you use these different frameworks again, not to ascribe value, but to just help illuminate um, not only yourself but your interactions with other people. And I thought it would be really interesting to talk about um, how that could help people 
currently having sort of difficult family interactions around politics because we get that message a lot. So we just did an episode on nuanced relationships and even the people within the nuanced relationships, a.k.a. like people from different political parties married to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they said one of the biggest conflicts was when they had they could they could navigate that um conflict within themselves but when they went out to each other's families it became increasingly difficult and i thought that some of the other frameworks might help us talk about how to navigate those difficult sort of conflicts within families what do you think oh yeah for sure because when when you bring people together they nobody sees the world exactly the same Mm-hmm. And when you talk about these categories of the, from the personality frameworks, like you can identify specific ways that we're inclined to view the world in different ways. But that's when you're talking about what's after dinner. Like when you add, when you Seriously. add a topic that that people feel passionately about, um, that's part of their identity. Oh yeah, I mean, mm. and like messing with people's identity. It, we I talk about that in the book is um, huge, huge. 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 Like the way you see yourself, like who you think of yourself, like what kind of person you think of yourself being is huge and extremely difficult to change. And when you bring two people with very passionately held beliefs, with two totally different identities who feel threatened. I mean, you've talked about that recently a lot on the podcast. Like when you threaten somebody's identity, um, that's, that's maybe not something that you want to do over Thanksgiving dinner. Because yeah, it gets ugly. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Well, and that's what I had a health coach one time, a former, a former sorority sister of mine, my big sister, my sorority actually. Um, and she helped me see that, that, you know, especially this is, was specifically about health and food, but like when it's like a food thing or a health thing and you, you're trying to change a behavior that is at the identity level, that is the hardest level to change. So it's not when you can identify like, it's not that you chocolate chip cookies bring you so much joy. Maybe they do, but that you identify as a person who loves that treat. Like that's become part of who you see yourself as. And that's why it's so, you know, I, th- I can imagine that's part of the, beyond the addictive nature of smoking, sm- uh, being a smoker becomes a part of someone's identity. And so it becomes very, very difficult to change. But it's not like people never do. Like a lot of women find out they're pregnant and all of a sudden, like your whole identity shifts right? because you peed on a stick. So suddenly you're a mother and that changes your conception about who you are as a human. Um, Sometimes people like this happened to my great uncle. He, uh, he, this was years ago, obviously, because he's my great uncle. Um, Like he was an obstetrician, uh, very healthy in many ways, walked off the elevator one day and when he walked around the corner, his secretary said, like, oh, I knew it was you. And he said, how? And she said, are you kidding? Like, you're hacking smoker's cough. Like, always <gasps> lets me know it's you. So in a second, he realized, I, I'm the kind of person who's so unhealthy that my secretary can figure out who I am because of my smoker's cough. But I mm. see myself as a healthy person, and that behavior didn't fit, so he dropped it. Um, wow. We can have like eye-opening moments that change our minds on an issue and then change our identity, like changes who we believe ourselves to be. So it's not that it never happens, but it's rare and it's difficult. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. 
Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So what do you think of all the frameworks in your book? What do you think is the most illuminating to how people respond in a conflict or when they feel sort of threatened at that identity level? Ooh, okay. I know my answer, but first I want to hedge and say that I think just (laughs) basic fundamental personality differences, maybe like Myers-Briggs junkies, well, I think that framework probably says the most specifically about this situation affect how we engage in these conversations in the first place. So mm. be, because of their personality type, I mean, because of who they are, some people are inclined to be very, um, to see the gray. 
Some people are inclined to be black and white. Some people are inclined to um, bury their lead and equivocate and say things very, very gently. And some people are inclined to think it's a positive thing to be very, very blunt about facts. So first of all, when you bring somebody who's very blunt because they think it's helping everybody together with somebody who (laughs) fears the same, again, you could be talking about, I don't know, what color sheets to buy and that could not be a good situation. So then when you, sheets don't threaten your identity, but we're talking about having conversations about things that do. And just, just knowing that like when somebody says something that strikes you as rude, it might not be coming off as rude to them. It might be Mm -hmm. like, I am Mm -hmm. saving you extra words that you don't want to hear by saying things how they are. Like this is a value of mine. And that's not necessarily bad until you bring people together who approach things differently. And then it can get real ugly real fast. Well, and I think that also it seems to me that the another sort of difference found in the Myers-Briggs that exercises itself in these conversations is you have people that um, argue from a place of what they feel is logic. I'm just being logical and analytical and coolly assessing the facts. And another and sort of another team that says this is you know, that, that doesn't see emotion as a bad thing and really feels like the emotion illustrates and illuminates the situation in a way cool facts can't. And so if I think you get those two people, oh, I don't know, for example, maybe inside my own marriage, um, together. (laughs) Hypothetically. Hypothetically, you know, um, then that's another source of conflict is because you, one person's being like, oh, you're being so emotional. And the other person's being like, you're being so insensitive. And so you can't really even see what you're talking about because you're too busy being mad at that person for how they see the world. Right. And like, this is probably a good time to say there's so many misperceptions about what the words, if you know a little about Myers-Briggs, but not a ton, you probably know just enough to be dangerous. Like to be, (laughs) to be a feeler in Myers-Briggs doesn't mean like you're so blinded by your emotions. You have no idea like what the facts of the situation are. It means that considering how relationships are affected by whatever it is you're about to decide matters deeply to you. And it's just as much a consideration as what the, Mm. quote, cold, hard facts reveal. Where if you're a thinker, it's facts first. Then we'll figure out the rest later. Ah, I like that. Well, and here's the thing. This is what I kept thinking about when I was reading your book, particularly about the Myers-Briggs part, is uh, we just read an amazing book. We didn't just read it. We read it several months ago at the book club, but I loved it. The Righteous Mind. Have you read it? No, but I need to because of What Should I Read Next Guest chose this as a favorite last December, and I've been meaning to read it ever since. so freaking good. It really changed so much of how I think about things. And he argues that um, anyone thinking that they're dealing with the cold hard facts first is just fooling themselves. That basically we have this huge monkey brain, which he (laughs) um, describes as an elephant, and we have this teeny tiny person trying to steer the elephant. But really... Our big monkey emotional brain is steering the ship most of the time. And what we're really doing, even when we think we're dealing with cool, hard facts, is just using um, our teeny tiny person to justify where our emotions want to go anyway, which I thought was really interesting. And so there's there's a part of me when I run up against somebody who's like, listen, this is just the logic of the situation. I want to be like, whatever. It's still your elephant still <laughs> steering the way. You're still being run by your elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really kind of shifted how I thought, but I, you're like, it's like you say, it's not that that that's, it's just the order in which they rank things, which I think is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we all, we all do all those things. Like we introvert and we extrovert, extrovert, we feel and we think we sense mm-hmm. and we judge. It's just which ones come more naturally to us. Right. Right. Well, and I think, you know, 
when you can do that, when you can use all these frameworks and sort of um, start to see them in real life, and then when you come into a conflict, and I think honestly, this is probably meditation helps a lot with this too, because it's that just taking a beat and responding without reacting. But when you can see all these and you start to see the gears working within people and within relationships, it just takes the edge off these conflicts. Yeah. Because you don't feel like it's you're arguing about reality. You're just, you're engaging with someone who not only sees the world th- differently than you do, that's okay, but engages differently. And like I said, when you see those gears working, it doesn't feel like they're, you know, throwing weapons at you. It just mm-hmm. feels like they're using a different set of tools. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, it just, it takes the edge off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it turns a situation that's fraught into one that's factual. Right. And, you know, like this, this is why this is happening. And just somehow knowing why is, is so helpful. Like before we started talking, I was just not feeling that great. I'm like, what is the matter with me? Like, I hope I'm not getting sick. I hope I'm fine. And then I realized, oh wait, it's my sinuses. I haven't taken my allergy medicine. All is well. This is fixable. Mm. So it went from this vague sense of something isn't right. What is it? It's kind of bothering me until I can figure it out to, oh, allergies. Just to be able to label the reason for the behavior is so, so helpful. It's so true. And when you can, when you feel it, it's so empowering to feel like you can just um, sort of see people for who they are instead of constantly having to assess them. So like, and I think, I think this is probably Beth's influence on me a lot. I've been practicing this whole thing, which I've never done in my whole life, which is not react immediately to the situation. <laughs> Good job, Beth. <laughs> um, which is a big deal for me. I'm a reactor. I like to react. Um, and so recently though, when I feel like somebody's coming at me hard and I can feel myself be like, ugh, and get defensive, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna sit here quietly. I'm just not gonna say anything. Yeah. Which is not my natural reaction. <laughs> I got most talkative in high school. I like to talk. I like to um, express myself. Uh, I'm trying to think of a verb for, um, what's the, I can't think of it. Anyway. And, but man, it works like a freaking charm. If I'd known it, it worked this good to just be quiet when people sort of come at you, I would have been doing it for a long time. Like my stepfather has a very bad temper. He is sort of a curmudgeon. He is very, he's very reactionary. And he is currently my real estate agent, which is not the best scenario. (laughs) And when he gets all, you know, he gets all out of sorts and he starts coming at me and I want, you know, my whole life and interactions with him, I've just gone back just as hard at him. And recently I just sit quietly and he sort of does his curmudgeon thing. And then he's like, I'm sorry, that was me. And I'm like, yes, it was. Thank you. I'll just sit here quietly until you realize what a jerk you're being. It works so well. Who That's knew? That's interesting. You know what though? Like some people's challenge isn't to stay quiet, but to actually speak up for themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. It's very personal. So it's good that you know like where you tend to go astray. And what you need to do to get back on track. Okay, that actually brings me to the real, not equivocating answer to your question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so when it comes to handling these conversations, I think the framework that's most illuminative about why people blow up at the, I keep I keep throwing Thanksgiving dinner under the bus, but it's just so perfect. It's irresistible. Because it it bad things happen at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but the framework that I think is most 
illuminative about what's actually going on is the Enneagram. How much do you know about mm, it? I love the Enneagram. Okay, yeah. What? I'm not going to ask you your type. That's kind of personal. But- no, I'm one. You know, <laughs> listen, I told this, I told a story. We yeah. had an interview with Brandon Harvey and he was like, so just tell me if there's nothing, if there's something you guys don't want to talk about. And I laughed and I said, I don't think in my life I've ever encountered something I don't want to talk about. Like I just, I have no privacy boundaries. It's just my husband loves let me tell you and like there's just nothing i won't no, no personality mm-hmm. fit flaw i won't share yeah i'm definitely one well i told you though i struggled because i thought maybe for a hot you gave me that you recommended that book that walks mm-hmm. you through it and it threw mm-hmm. me for a loop and i was like ooh, am i for no i'm definitely one i can see it but nobody can figure out your enneagram type but you so yeah it's, it's gotten a lot trendier it's gotten a lot more press in the past it couple of years but for those who don't know this is another personality framework. It, there's nine types of people. And I was, I have a friend who used to be an Enneagram coach and I'd be like, oh, okay, I think I understand. So the Myers-Briggs highlights your strengths and the Enneagram highlights your weaknesses. And she's like, no, no, it highlights your motivations. Although mm. that can totally feel like the same thing. So your, your type, your one of nine types pinpoints the underlying reason that drives everything you do. And they can be so much a part of us that we don't even think about them or consciously realize that's what we're doing. In fact, we probably don't, which is what makes it so dangerous. And that's also why you can't pinpoint somebody else's Enneagram type. Like you can see their behavior, but people can act in the same way for a whole host of different reasons. And Mm. it's the reason that determines your type. And each type has its own basic fears and desires and motivations and core needs. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with these, but, but they can manifest in healthy ways, but they can also, and often do manifest in really unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. So if you're a type six and your driving motivation is fear that you're seeking security and you don't want to feel threatened, then, I mean, then you start talking politics and and you can see how that could go bad. Right. Or, or you're a, like maybe you're a four and your core need is to feel special, to feel unique. And so when you're talking politics and you get lumped in with a whole group of people who think X, you can start wanting to kick back. And that can look Mm. really, really ugly, especially if you don't know what's going on. Or if you're a type two and you just really need for people to need and depend on you, um, that can be a wonderful thing. And like, you can go serve the world, but you can also um, get into some really entangled, ugly situations. And whether that's whether that's talking with your friends and family at the table, like in your real life, or whether that's on the global scale, that can that can go south real fast. So just understanding why people feel so threatened when you start talking about some beliefs, like the Enneagram says, like this this is your core motivation which often looks like a core fear like a way that you feel threatened like in your very core and it explains why people act in very irrational ways that are strangely predictable if you know why I think I mean I'm a one with a two wing which is also Hillary Clinton's Enneagram (laughs) noticing a pattern here Uh uh-huh and I did go back and forth until I found the, and I shouldn't have, I should have known when I read this and I found these, because Richard Rohr is a big Enneagram person and we love Richard Rohr on the podcast. And um, I don't remember where I found this. Oh, it was, um, it was Lee Kramer, who's one of the Enneagram experts. And she had these, like, they're called healing attitudes for each Mm -hmm. Enneagram. Mm -hmm. 
and the healing attitude for one, <laughs> it makes every cell in my body scream. What is it? Okay, so mine is maybe others are right. <laughs> That's hilarious. This is the one that I'm like, this, these, oh gosh, every, even saying them out loud makes me, makes my body go a little wonky. Maybe someone else has a better idea. Maybe others will learn for themselves. That's outrageous. Outrageous. No, they won't. I have to teach them, obviously. And may, oh, this is the last one. Maybe I've done all that can be done. No, no. That's also outrageous. There is always something else I could do clearly that's just the reality of the situation so like you know that's the one that 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 sort of visceral reaction I had to those I'm like yeah I'm definitely a one and I think that that exercises itself in politics for me in that I always use I use politics and policy to control to be perfect to like Mm -hmm. so to me in a policy discussion there is always there is always something particularly that the government could do to fix the situation to help the situation, to regulate the situation. And so that's how that plays out for me. Like I'm always searching for the statistic or the data or the policy that could make the situation more perfect, basically. And it took me a long time to realize, like, first of all, not everybody thinks like that. And second of all, like, I'm not going to just, you know, I think that Democrats in particular do this. Like, I'm going to give you this long article. I'm going to share this statistic, this infograph, and you are going to change your mind. Well, no. Not just because they might not agree with the policy, but because so much is driven by how you see the world and your personality and your emotions surrounding politics. But in my mind, and I think this was a one thing, like I wanted to control it through facts and data and policy. Well, the world needs people who are great with facts and data and policy. Yeah, right. Exactly. But, but if, seem important. if that could be, you know, carried out healthily, that would be great. <laughs> Oh, man. It's just so, yeah, I love the Enneagram. It's definitely having a moment. I think it is um, very helpful to not just think about, and what's interesting to me in my own personal journey with the Enneagram is I found the Enneagram at the same time I found the Strength Finders. And they're very different messages. The Strength Finders is just sort of focus on what appeals to you. And like you said, a lot of the Enneagram is think about what motivates you, not always in a good way. And so they seemed sort of, different sides of a coin to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to sort of encounter them at the same time. But I think what I've realized is like my strength finders, the, the, it's the one where you like information. Is it learner? No. What is it? Input. I think you would input. Yes. Input. But I'm realizing that as much as I love input and when I first gave the strength finder, found the strength finders, it's like I gave myself permission to just cover myself up in input, but because I'm highly sensitive and because of that, motivation underlying the one Mm -hmm. it can be a bad thing for me so like i've started dialing back the you know listening to podcast at twice the speed in my van every day all day not so great needed to dial that input down just a little bit that's Um, very wise yeah and it helped me it helped me see like just because that is a strength and you do like that doesn't mean that you need to go all in (laughs) (laughs) doesn't mean you have to swim in it like all your waking hours Exactly, exactly. It was very, but again, I think that's like the message of your book is when you understand yourself better and you can, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace moving through all these different frameworks and always giving yourself grace when you're trying to grow or um, 
learn about yourself, it can be a really positive experience. It can, even if I have to share my favorite Richard Rohr quote since you brought, mm, brought him up. I so he him. says about the Enneagram, the truth will make you free, but first it will make you miserable. Like Ugh. the Enneagram nice. can totally feel like that. Like it's not always yeah. fun to find out how you're screwing things up all the time and operating out of a like ugly broken place. Yep. Not a picnic. But sometimes it is pure fun. Like, oh, I do do that. And aren't I adorable <laughs> for, for seeing the world in that way? But other times you're like, oh, I'm just going to go cry now. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. But totally helpful. E- even, even, you know, even if the information is a little painful to come by, it's so much better in the end. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I love the book. And I think all our readers are going to love the book, too. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Anne. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having oh. me. I always love a, I love a pantsuit politics. What should I read next crossover? Because oh, it's my happy place. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We will be back on Tuesday with a regular episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 